my, I have enjoyed that, yes boy. Me, oh my, I have enjoyed that, yes boy. Me, oh my, I have enjoyed that, yes boy. Me, oh my, I have enjoyed that. Me, oh my, I have enjoyed that, yes boy. Namahi Tefano, and thank you very much for tuning in to another episode of In the Sheds on Code with Kingy, where for this go around, I'm sitting with a former Hurricane and Samoan International and P Town boy and Faifili Lavave. Um, first of all, Kaz, very, very grateful for your time. Um, I know we just had a quick chat off here of what you've been up to, but why don't we brush back over that and let the listeners know what you've been doing and what you're looking to do with your time now? Yeah, well, I've been playing for the coast. <laughs> The last two weeks um, but you know I've been home been back in New Zealand just over a year uh, got home you know just before lockdown um, lockdown started and have been uh, mortgage brokering for about 13 months now how do you even get into mortgage brokering what through a cuz or what no nah, I've always had um, interest in property um, mm. and yeah a few of the rugby boys are, are mortgage brokers now um, Mills Malaina Rotopoki who are spurning up then, uh, Issa Nathiwa, um, they're all mortgage brokers now. So yeah, I guess just that interest in property and being able to help people um, sort of steered me down that road. Was that all just local stuff or around the whole valley block? No, no within New Zealand. So you can pretty much oh, okay. cover, yeah, you can, yeah, they had clients uh, as far as Auckland and Invercargill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so so long as you've got your laptop and your cell phone, in terms of reach of people, you can get anyone anywhere. Yeah, interesting. And so what did a day-to-day look like for you transitioning from footy into that space? Oh, man, I'm still figuring it out now, bro. <laughs> um, but yeah, obviously, you know, being in the office and whatnot, you know, I found that quite tough just coming from, you know, pretty much the gym was, gym and rugby field been my office the last past few years. Um, so yeah, that transition was tough. Um, but then in terms of the brokering itself, um, you know, it's quite flexible with time. Um, yep. So long as you make your laptop, you know, you can pretty much work from anywhere. But, you know, I sort of committed in terms of the first year, just being in the office as much as I could. So mm-hmm. I was, um, Mike McGinley owns Connect Me Mortgages. So he, he sort of took me under his wing and was showing me the ropes. Um, I guess you could say he's pretty much my coach in the, in the brokering industry. Yeah. You're transitioning out. You said that it's not quite. Yeah. 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 Just mentioned before I, I um, yeah, transitioning out. So I finished up with Connect Me Mortgages probably about a month, just over a month ago, um, sort of came to a conclusion that, you know, I gave it a good crack. Aspects of the industry probably weren't all me. And yeah, I was content with my decision and being able to walk away from from brokering. So yeah, I'm unemployed at the moment. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I guess for me, and like any athlete, whether you're a rugby player or a netball player, transition, you know, it's, it's tough. <laughs> especially if you've been um, playing sports for so long, especially professionally. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm still figuring it out, bro. I mean, it's cool for yeah. someone like yourself to even, like, be able to make that sort of call. I know some boys have the struggle of when they transition out of footy, not really yeah. having a lot of opportunities. And it no. sounds like for someone like yourself who has his head screwed on, like, you've made the call that this isn't you and you, you're yeah. looking for other avenues to, to make up your time, which have come in the form of playing for East Coast. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, no, nah, I think in terms of timing with playing for the coast came came at a good time. You know, obviously, you know, put through in the towel just over a month ago. And um, the owner of Connect Me Mortgages was really supportive of that. He understood um, and he knew himself that, you know, in terms of me being a rugby player, 
heading straight into the industry, you know, it was a big, 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 big step for me. But, you know, he, I guess, you know, he, he had the heart for me and knew that I'd go far in the industry. But, you know, if my heart's not in, in it, then, he, you know, he definitely understood why, why I walked away. So, yeah. I mean, who knows? Perhaps something you can go back to a little later yeah. in life if it floats yeah. your boat. But, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, we all go through it, bro. And again, like, I just think it's cool that, I just know there, you know, I think everyone knows someone who is in a job that they're not that in favor of, but they have to stick at it because they have commitments and they have dependence. Um, and yeah. it can be quite a big call for people to just to pull pin. I mean, like, like you said, you invested a good year into it to give it a good crack. Yep. But like you said, you've, you transitioned out of it and you've been playing a bit of rugby for the coast. And so again, like mentioning off here and um, what we just talked about, um, a pretty humbling experience compared to the highs of the highs that you would have been through um, throughout your professional career to then be, you know, on the ground in Ruatoria, staying in a motel, yeah. eating ice creams after the game. You know, that's nothing like the protein shakes or the heavy carb meals that you would have been used to. So how has your time with the coast the past couple of weeks, um, I guess, changed your perspective on footy, if so at all? Yeah, I think um, you know, it probably hasn't changed my perspective, but it's, you know, taken me back to you know it's, it's sort of grounded me to where my rugby journey started in terms of the hard work that I put in as the athlete but the sacrifices my parents had made as well and just being able you know playing with a group of guys who work um, and obviously take time out, out of their work and their family life to play for the coast. I mentioned to Staffy last week um, that in terms of the East Coast training they can't have one set location yeah. um, because boys are traveling like two and a half three hours just to get to training um, you know get to training travel two and a half three hours to get to training train for two hours and then you know backtrack that two and a half three hours back home yeah. so you know yeah. you know that stuff is you know it's humbling but you know it's a, a refresher of where you start your footy eh? um, and it's probably no different to rugby in the islands you know bare feet and whatnot probably don't have to travel as far um but yeah just you know for myself it's just having that fun back and putting that fun back in rugby you know don't have to impress anyone you know in terms of hitting a certain amount of stats fighting for a position or whatnot um that you know that's not saying that i'm i'm, I'm mucking around with the coast but you know yeah. that burden's not on your shoulders you know what i mean yeah 100 um, no, bro and I, I guess playing for the coast is just, you know, just being able to give back, eh? Whether it's, you know, leading on and on and off the field. And just, you know, these, these boys, you know, they don't have a lot. But in terms of what Jose Gears set up for them, you know, it's pretty much up there with what uh, the professional rugby does in terms of preparation and whatnot. So, no, it, it, it's been awesome. It's been a, been a privilege for me. Um, and as I mentioned before, um, you know, my wife's whanau's from up there. So it's a, it's a good connection for my kids back up the coast too. 100. And so do you relish those sorts of opportunities? I know you've turned out for Norths a bit this year as well, just to be able to give back. And what's it like, yeah. you know, sort of coming full circle with your career, you know, starting in P-Town, sort of coming back to P-Town now and having the opportunity to give back. And why is it that boys like yourself who have gone through, you know, like a 10-year plus career playing professional yeah. footy that they put such a big emphasis on giving back to guys who they were essentially 10 years ago? I think, you know, in terms of what rugby's provided for me and my family, you know, it's important to give back um, in terms of the skills 
and you know the talent that we've been blessed with you know you'd be silly not to give back so mm. yeah I guess that's my form of giving back to the community you know I don't, I don't see myself going down the coaching road but um my, my body's still willing and able to move so you know may as well eh? and I know my old man and old lady like seeing me play in the Norse colours um so you, you know that's pretty humbling as well and so you are a P-Town boy, as I mentioned at the top of the podcast, um, and yep. Norse probably would have been your, your junior club. So how old were you when you even got into playing footy? And it, was it through your parents that pushed you there, or was it a group of mates? No, it was, it was actually my cousin. My parents weren't too keen on sports. Ah. <laughs> um, and it, yeah, it was actually my cousin, Oliver Churns, who um, asked mum if I could head along to under nine training with him at Norse. Um, so that sort of broke the ice for me. And then, yeah, just never really looked back. Started off as a lock and now playing, covering lock for the coast. So, you know, it's quite ironic. Under nines is quite a late start. What were you doing in the meantime? Oh, bro, I was doing chores at home. <laughs> yeah, no, nah, nothing. Um, playing on my skateboard, riding my bike, um, going to work with mum. Mum was a cleaner back when we were little. So that's pretty much what we did after school was go to mum with work. And I was always on rubbish. So See. yeah, it was my life as a as a kid. <laughs> yeah, and so was it as soon as you got onto a rugby field and were in amongst it? Did you love it straight away, or was it a slow transition? Ah, uh, no, nah, just oh, it was a oh man, I I don't know. I, I was I was playing with my cousins, playing with um you know my primary school mates from school. So yeah, I guess the enjoyment just came from there. And then you transitioned yeah. to going into town to go into St Pat's College. Yep. Yep. Was that for rugby education? How did that work out? That I, so I went to VR Intermediate um, and I didn't want to be at the same school as my brother. True. <laughs> um, and I, yeah, funny enough, I struggled working in a co-ed school. You know, just having girls in the classroom sort of, you know, distracted me. Um, <laughs> like going to St. Pat's was purposely because it was a boys' school and um, my auntie was actually teaching there as well, so yeah, it was for school. And um, before I started as a third form, my mum sort of said to me, I only can play one sport, either basketball or rugby. And then obviously going into town, seeing that the boys were actually really good at basketball, mm. I decided to just play rugby. True. So you played a bit of basketball growing up as well? Yeah, yeah. My, my family was a basketball family sort of growing up. So yeah, rugby was, I was the only rugby player. Ah, so what what made you favour rugby instead of basketball? Was it just your ability or did you just want to be the, the odd one out in the family? Ah, uh, man, I actually wasn't good at dribbling. <laughs> so I was always the tall kid at mini ball that would just run way underneath the hoop. <laughs> and mm -hmm. obviously, yeah, that, that was sort of me. And I, I seen the boys play in town, the third form boys play in town. And I was just like, nah, I'm not, not up to these guys <laughs> your level. Yeah, bro. I, I played a bit of ball. I, I'm, I'm a streamer, bro. Oh, nice. yeah yeah oh, yeah me. yeah so um i mean i never rode the bench at school but yeah like yourself i mean a small fella that can't um shoot or dribble um yeah. i stuck with playing rugby and battled away at that and whatnot so how did you find traveling from p-town all the way into town like how early were your mornings to start i know i know a few boys do i know a few boys go to coal and stuff like yeah. that to give themselves better opportunities not to take anything away from the potty schools but i know that no. town and coal are historically greater sporting yeah. schools so was it uh tough for you getting up so early in the morning and getting home yeah, so well, late at night? Yeah, you know, that was a, that was a six o'clock start every day um and usually on the i think it was a 705 
I'd always catch the early train. The, the, the rest of the cool kid would catch the, I think it was the 747 <laughs> in the morning. Um, but yeah, obviously train, bus, and then school, and then bus, train, bus. Yeah. So yeah, it's a long day, especially with rugby training as well. Probably wouldn't get home till like eight. Mm-hmm. Have to be up at six the next morning. But yeah, apparently they're a bus that does a loop of Pororo now. So yeah, those boys are spoiled. <laughs> I think they miss out on the um, station days, though, in terms of seeing all the, the other schools and whatnot there. Yeah, 100%. It's always quite cool because I catch the train into work every morning from the hut, bro. And, yeah. you know, you see the kids flood in. I mean, like boys and girls, you know, like St. Mary's, Town, Cole. But, yeah, obviously early starts for you, that would have helped, you know, set you up for the career that was to come. So at yeah. what point? in school did you start to look at rugby as like a possible career avenue for you like were you were you like a gun when you got to town and just kicked on from there or how did your footy career like roll to the point where you were playing for the Lions when you just left school yeah oh man I would have said I was a gun (laughs) um I guess you know starting at at St. Pat's probably the same stream as well as a third former you know under 15s is sort of the pinnacle of rugby and it's a you know it's a a year when you can make a statement um, or your rugby at school and yeah the under 15s trial I, I yeah I carved up um, and then pretty much I was, I was only third former in under 15s and then I, had, I think I had my first game for first as a full former and then sort of yeah just rolled oh, with wow. it then. yeah I didn't really think I was good at it I just you know it's just I was a big kid big strong kid um, and yeah I just enjoyed it you were never rattled by having to play older guys? Nah, not at all. Not at all. Nah. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Was that what, because you'd grown up in a whānau where you had to compete with older cousins and older brothers and whatnot, or what? Yeah, you could say so. You could say so. I guess, yeah, I just, I wasn't, I was never a scared kid. And, you know, I, amongst me and my siblings, I was probably the cheeky one. So I was, I was good at running. <laughs> But yeah, I yeah, I'm I'm not too sure in terms of when it sort of the penny dropped at, at school for rugby. Yeah, I was just big, good at it, and then just rolled with it. All right, yeah. so you were in the first fifteen pretty buddy quickly, and then what? Yeah. You played in all the rep teams through it, sixteens, eighteens. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, sixteens, eighteens, and then secondary schools. My last year was probably my hardest in terms of rugby, um, because our first fifteen dropped down to Division Two. Division two or premier, yeah, we dropped out of the first, the, the top grade. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was that was a bit of an eye opener for me, knowing that I still had to play well, and you know, obviously make the Wellington Secondary School, Central Regions, and then New Zealand Secondary School. So yeah, yeah. I think it was you were part of the academy our, at the same time. Um, no, no, we didn't join. I didn't join the academy till I finished school. Okay, right. Yeah, it was a different back then to how it is now. So. Interesting. And so, what? So you played pretty much all through high school. You get to your last year of school, um, yep. and you know you mentioned that you went on to play NZ schools, but you're playing in a second division, like with your boys. Yep. And what? That's all the training you did outside of maybe the extras you did in your own time. There wasn't any incentive to kick on. Like, did were you get in contact with any sorts of agents or anyone from the union telling you that they wanted you to stick around in Wellies? Nah, I guess my my progression sort of leaving school was premier uh, to mm-hmm. play prem um, and I was always going to come back home and that was you know that was humbling as well just being able to reconnect with um, you know the Allison brothers Serge Lilo 
Um, you know, boys I grew up with playing club. And then, yeah, I guess it wasn't so club. <laughs> wasn't so club, I sort of, you know, clicked. I was like, oh man, you know, I actually can make something of this. Um, you know, I had the likes of Jerry to look up to as well. Um, Towns was cracking on through New Zealand 21s too. So, yeah, they're just the local idols who sort of paved the pathway for us. John Schwolger, Anthony Piranisi. Yeah, it's an interesting space. I, I, I don't know, that's just so different to what it's like now, right? I think if yeah. you're any good from about 16, they yeah. try and snap you up as quickly as possible. I mean, in part because, you know, you see the way that the rugby league landscapes change to where they come yeah. over to New Zealand, they try to poach a lot of the talent. But yep. even now, you pretty much bypass club yep. rugby if you're any good these yeah. days. Yeah. Um, but you make, yeah, exactly. But you, you make a mention that you went home and played for Norths. And yep. I think, was what was it in your first year out that you helped guide yep. Norths to their first ever Jubilee Cup win? Yeah, we won that my first year out. So, yeah, that was, that was massive. I didn't, I didn't realise how big Jubilee Cup was back then, neither. <laughs> Well, it must have been a hell of a lot different to the rugby you were playing the previous year, playing Prem 2. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was all straight in there off the big boys too. So, you know, these are grown-ass men who were playing this time. Mm. But you know, it was probably a catalyst of us. We had the Allison brothers, Anthony Piranisi, John Schwalga, Api Nakatini, Serge Lilo, um, Tams. You know, we were all playing in, at Premier at the same time. So, you know, they, that was pretty much the Wellington Academy. <laughs> Yeah, 100. Because were you before or after the likes of like Buxton, Popoli'i and Alapatilewa? Before, a few years before. Ah, so they were still coming through, Robert Ford. They were still coming through. Yeah, bro. Those guys are like legendary when you look back at some of the stats from the club rugby. Yeah, um, So it sounds like you guys sort of set the foundation for what were some good times to come over Porirua way. And so you make a mention of the fact you helped guide them to their first ever Jubilee Cup win you don't actually quite comprehend how big a deal that actually is. And yeah. so at what stage were the Wellington Union finally getting in touch with you and being like, hey, we're going to give you a crack at the Lions? Yeah, that was, I guess that sort of came after New Zealand 19s. Um, we had an academy tour and then, yeah, New Zealand 19. So when I got back from that, um, just went straight into the Lions squad, which I guess, you know, it was awesome for me at the time. Maybe in hindsight, um, probably should have just stayed at my in my age grade day. Eh? <laughs> True. What was it? Quite a rough. No, I think you know, being an 18, 19 year old, you know, my body was still growing. Um, True. You know, whereas if I probably just stayed back a year and just played with my age grade, that would have just given my body a bit more time to you know to mature. But yeah, I you know, I, I guess at the time you don't really think about that stuff. You just jump straight in. Um, but I know for a fact that uh, Graham Murray was trying to hold me back from playing for the Lions. But, you know, at the time, John Plumtree was there and he just wanted me in there straight away. Mm. And yeah, he reminds me to this day when I see him, he's like, you should have just stayed in your age grade. But, you know, in terms of where my career went, you know, I still did quite well. Yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned that because that seems to be the trend now because I think even the likes of the All Blacks in the past have learned that maybe throwing a guy into the fire a little bit too quickly can do more damage than good, even though, yeah. you know, their, their intentions are right. Yeah. Um, like you said, being such a tender age, just playing that one more year, getting a bit more confidence under your belt can actually yeah. serve you better in the long term. So you go straight into amongst the men and, you know, those are back in the days where everything was really old school. There wasn't all that yeah. load management and 
I guess even like the the sheds would have been a lot different being with some of the older guys as well. You probably had to earn their respect a bit quicker and they probably weren't as welcoming as what the professionals are these days. So do you have any tales yeah. from when you first rocked up and did you have your head down for like your first year? And No, nah, well, you know, as I mentioned, we had Tom's and all that there. Jerry was there. So they sort of took me under their wing straight away. My cousin Emil was there. Um, you know, Pal Pity Rippy pretty much took me under his wing and, you know, we're still... Pity and I still very tight to till this day. So, you know, I was lucky enough to have those seniors you know, sort of take me under their wing. Um, there was one guy who didn't like me, I don't know why, uh, was Joe McDonnell. He's a prop. <laughs> um, but he was just old school. He was just always a cute, yeah, he was always a cunt. <laughs> um, <laughs> but as I got to know him, you know, he he was just that tough love kind of guy. Yeah. You know, eventually I earned his respect. So, yeah, that's. Yeah, the generation now is probably a lot different <laughs> how it was mm. back then. But yeah, I, I guess for me too, and at that time, you know, I did a bit of part-time work in between sort of that transition from school to obviously the Lions. And, you know, obviously now guys are coming through so young, they don't get that opportunity to study or to do part-time work. So yeah, I, I guess it's probably a bit hard, will get a bit harder for them when they do obviously get injured or career in, career ending injury. Um, you know, they've been thrown straight into the limelight. They've got nothing to fall back on. And so how do you feel about that as a guy who was in a similar position to all of the kids that are coming through now and had the opportunity to, I guess, somewhat humble yourself by going and working and being forced to study because the money just isn't the same as what it is now. Do you feel like the game's better or worse for it? Man. You're recording this, eh? <laughs> I guess. I, I, I guess. I know. I. This is my own opinion. I think the game will always be awesome um, in terms of the player alone. You know, that's probably that's probably the only question mark I'll have in terms of the future of players. Is you know, there's there's a question mark there, a big question mark. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I only ask because I don't know. It, it almost. I mean, guys were sort of chewed up and spat out in your day as well. But I guess with the likes of social media now, I yeah. mean, like outside of probably, you know, you reading the paper in your heyday, that was probably the the extent of the hate that you got or if you were in town or at a pub. Whereas like now guys go in and check their phones straight after games and that can get to them straight away. And I've always been interested because yeah. I'm, I'm friends with a few of the boys that have gone through it as to how much of an emphasis the the coaches and the academies put on these guys having a backup plan. Um, yeah. And, and, and I, it's weird because I've had these conversations with mates, not just in rugby, but in other sports. And they say that, well, if you have a backup plan, it's almost like you've got one foot out the door to begin with. And a lot of yeah. them don't want to do that. They, they just want to, you know, like yeah. burn the boats and just go full on with the rugby. But as you'd know better than most, you're one injury away, you're one head yeah. knock away, you're one generational talent, you know, coming up behind you away from potentially, you know, putting your career on ice. Yeah, definitely, definitely. No, I definitely agree with that. And I, I guess it comes down to the individual as well. I'm the kind of person I like to have a few things going at the same time. So, for instance, I guess for when I was playing, I was doing some study at the same time. Um, that kept my mind busy, and I found that helped my performance as well. Um, so I wasn't always just rugby, rugby, rugby. You know, there are other things sort of going on behind the scenes. Yeah. And so. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like from the gist that I've got off the what, half an hour I've been knowing you, bro, it sounds like you're a pretty laid back guy. So even when you cracked the lines or were invited by John Plumtree to come into that environment, had you still, 
any idea of what you wanted to do with the rest of your life? Or was it at that point that you were like, okay, maybe I can turn this rugby thing into a career? Yeah, um, man, I guess, obviously, when I was with the Lions, I was studying at the same time. I, I think I'd taken three papers that trimester and I dropped off one. And then I was just like, oh, man, I can't do both. And I guess that was sort of the, the turning point for me knowing that I had to walk away from uni and just give rugby a good go. So in terms of the timeline and progression from there, I didn't really see where to go other than, you know, the transition is play NPC, play super rugby, play international, become an all black. Um, that was sort of the, the drive at that time. And just like any, any kid playing in New Zealand, they all want to be an all black. What were you studying at the time? If you don't mind me asking. I did. A, I was doing a BA in education and psychology. Um, yeah, I wasn't too keen on the psychology, so I dropped that and did a geography paper. True. Yeah. So, what you didn't want to? I mean, you've mentioned the fact that you got into mortgage broking. Teaching isn't something you want to get into. I did want to be a teacher when I finished school, um, but yeah, nah, not now. My wife's a teacher, so I see the stress she goes through anyway. <laughs> Fair enough, fair enough. All right, so as I touched on, bro, you first turned out for the Lions in 05 and you yep. stuck with the three, with the team sorry, um, until 2007, playing a yep. number of different games. Um, yep. But then you had a year in the Waikato for 2008 before coming back to Wellington in 09. So what yep. was that about? Um, so I was drafted to the Chiefs for the 2008 season and I guess part of the deal to sign off the Chiefs was I had to sign with Waikato. So it made sense to stay up there at the same time. So had you been yeah. in talks with the Hurricanes at all before going up to the Chiefs to keep, possibly nah, so keep you home? Back, yeah, so back in those days, I sound, I sound old now. <laughs> back in those days, I'm not sure, not, yeah, you might have to correct me if I'm wrong with numbers. So Super Rugby could only secure, I think it was 26 or 28. You only could contract 26, 28. And then the rest of the guys sort of go into a pool. And that pool, that's when all the other franchises come in and sort of pluck from there. So at the time, so for example, you played for Wellington, you were in the pool for Hurricanes. You couldn't, you know, you couldn't move freely like they do now. Mm. So, um, yeah, the Canes had Chris Marsoy, Rodney, Jerry, Serge Lilo, Scott Waldrum. So their, their, their loosers were all full. So Coops at the time um, spoke to Fozzie and yeah, Fozzie took me from there. True. And so how do you find that adjustment going from the capital to the Tron? Man, it was massive. That was actually my first time away from home. So I'd never flattered before. <laughs> so, you know, that was an experience at the South too. What, 21, turning 22. So first time flatting. I don't know if then, you can be proud of that or not. <laughs> <laughs> bro, I'm still in that same boat, bro. I'm back at home. Bro, Me. cheap airs living. <laughs> <laughs> nah, but more so to you, bro. What was the step up like? you mentioned like you transitioned to playing men pretty buddy yep. quickly, especially back in those days for a forward and then 21 yep. still young for yep. a forward to be playing super rugby. So yeah. again, was that baptism by fire? Yeah, man, I, that was a shock to the system. Eh? I think preseason alone was pretty tough. Um, that was a really big wake up call. And I'm trying to run, run along the sides of Tanero, Latama, Liam Nissan, um, you know, Sione Lawaki ended up, eventually joining us after the end of your tour. So mm -hmm. you was just trying to keep up with those guys. And I knew those guys already had extra lungs underneath their existing lungs. But now they were really welcoming, eh? The Chiefs boys, um, Wax and Mills and, you know, all those boys, City. 
they're you know they're a big big family up there. Yeah, and even like but before I get a little bit too ahead of myself with my questioning, how do like the Super Rugby teams differ? Because I mean, you spent then the bulk of your career at the Hurricanes, and I mean, like yeah. I know that you. I mean, you were with the Chiefs, but probably not as embedded in the team as you were with the Hurricanes. So, yeah. does it actually change much? Like, does this? I mean, did the scenery do much for you? Like, I mean, I I don't know where I'm trying to go with this question, but I know that with you being a hometown no, 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 boy, no, no. playing for the Hurricanes would have been probably a bigger deal. Yeah, I think um, you know, geographically, Hamilton's a lot smaller, um, so the boys are all within driving distance of each other. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, Wellington's quite spread out. But, you know, we still sort of just stay in our pockets of groups. Um, I guess that was probably the only difference. But, you know, not to say that both cultures are, are just as well strong too. Yeah, I, I loved my time at the Chiefs. And, you know, I was fortunate enough. I lived with Mills Muliaina. So, you know, I learned a lot of him as well too. So he was my first flatmate. <laughs> right, so that's a pretty notable flatmate um, for your first yeah. time out of home. And so then yeah. what happened? The things not quite go to plan with Waikato towards the end of that season to where the Chiefs didn't want to bring you back or did you just get homesick or? Nah, well, um, at at, at the time during ITM, the Canes reached out. So I pretty much had a contract with the Canes, but I wanted to stay at the Chiefs. Um, So it was was a bit of a tough time in terms of trying to decide. But, you know, I guess at the end of the day for me was play for a contract at the Chiefs or take a contract that's already sitting there. Wow. Contrary to that was I wanted to stay and play for a contract, but then I could have got injured and then yeah. had no option. So, you know, that's sort of the the dilemma I had at the time. Mm. Well, well, financially, you know, with that sort of hat on, that's it's a bit of a no-brainer. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I could I could totally understand where, you know, you leave home, a bit of independence and I guess, yeah, Waikato would have become a second home for you, you know? Yeah. Um, my, my wife's whanau is still up there too in Huntley. So I actually spent the first week over preseason. So I was, I was staying at the, the the grandparents' place in Huntley and then just commuting in the, every day. So, you know, the links up there were, you know, were deep, uh, deep before I even got to the Chiefs. So, yeah, it was, it was a bit of a bummer. I think if I did stay on for the 2009 season, I would have settled up there. Hindsight's, hindsight's a, a funny thing, eh? <laughs> yeah, true, bro. You potentially would have had a couple of championships up your sleeve as well. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. Good up, good up. <laughs> yeah. All right, so you but made the call to come back to... I loved coming, I loved coming home. It was, yeah, it was, it was perfect coming home. Yeah, bro. 100. Yeah. So like you said, you come home from your time up on the Tron. And so what, are you like a full squad member or are you just cover for that year leading into... Uh, squad member yeah okay so pretty squad member yeah mm-hmm. and so then what hit, i guess like you said oh you mentioned the fact that the the talent was pretty rife at that time in terms of like not being quite being able to get your opportunity but you would have been knocking on the door at trainings um week in week out um, but then the following year you finally get your full crack at the team yeah. and you make your debut and yeah. so did you feel somewhat ready you know having been in the trenches with those boys or at that level for two years, that when you finally got your opportunity, it wasn't as nerve-wracking as, say, some guys who come into their debut season and then thrust out there? Yeah, yeah, I guess, you know, I sort of got the cobwebs out up in, up at the Chiefs, um, and then sort of, I guess, maturity-wise, had grown in terms of, you know, as a, as a, rugby, as a rugby player. So in, in terms of the nerves, not so much, I guess, if anything, was just settling back into a routine back in Wellington, 
um, seeing how that worked out. Yeah, I think I bought my first, I bought a house before I moved back too. So, you know, that was a, a new life experience as well. So yeah, just, just settling back in, getting into routine and just, just finding my feet being back home. House prices would have definitely been cheaper oh, back then than what they are these days, eh? I feel sorry for players trying to buy a house now. Good luck. <laughs> well, you're literally starting your life away, bro. Literally. Yeah. Um, and, and then another question I have for you, because you popped up at a in very interesting time um, for the Hurricanes. You were part of the um, a core group that was with Colin Cooper. Yep. And then they made the decision to let him go, or I can't remember what he decided to um, leave the Hurricanes, and then they bring in Mark Hammett, who was, I think, assistant coach of the Crusaders the previous year. Yep. Um, and anyone who followed the Hurricanes at that time yep. knew it was a pretty rough period for the team. Um, yep. Hammett had his own ideas of how he wanted the team to play and train. And um, I guess my question for you is someone who was in those sheds and... Yep. I mean, like, I understand if you want to keep some stuff to yourself, but like, what was that like, you know, going through that stage where, you know, had the likes of like Andrew Hoare and Ma'a Nonu, you know, like speaking out um, yeah. almost against their coach with the media. And then I guess that reflected in the on-field results and the way that Hammett then cleaned house to where we yeah. now saw like the likes of TJ Pedernata come through, Bowden Barrett and all those young bloods. Yeah, I, I, I guess, you know, at, at the time, you know, it's probably Hammett was trying to find a culture in terms of his approach on how he went about things was probably, yeah, you know, I guess everyone's had their own view on that. But I, I think at the time, and I, I do give him credit in terms of the likes of Bodie, uh, Bodie and TJ, you know, he, you know, he was part of their selection. <laughs> he was a part of that journey from the start and with, Everything that was sort of going on at the time, I guess at the end of the day, was what was best for the team. You know, the team came first and foremost. Sort of what was going on behind the scenes. I, I stayed away from that, I guess for me. Personally, all I needed to do as a player was prepare myself well and know that I was giving the team my best and not sort of letting the other stuff affect me. And I knew collectively that if we all sort of individually played and prepared well, you know, the results weren't going our, our way, but... Um, you know, rugby is an industry where if you start second guessing yourself, you either one not perform or two get injured. So, you know, that's one thing you don't want to go into a game knowing that you've underprepared and you're, mm. you know, you're you're exposed to injury. So, yeah. In essence, I stayed I stayed out of it and just performed. I just wanted to give my best for the Hurricanes. Yeah, bro, I get that. Um, I guess this is interesting for me because. As someone who loved Ma'a, who loved Andrew, who, who loved Pity, and then what ended up happening is that you saw the likes of Aaron Crude and Zach Guilford and all those talents leave. You know, as a player, um, and I guess, you know, you would have been pretty established at that time as a guy who'd been at that level. Yeah. It must be tough for a coach to make those sorts of calls and then hope that he doesn't lose the rest of the locker room. Because, you know, like if you're having that sort of talent leave and then someone like yourself, you're like, holy shit, you know, these are our best players leaving. And, you know, like as a competitor, I want to win. Like, I'm not saying that you would have lost faith in Mark Hammett, but it, it must be quite a fine line or like it must be such a hard thing to strike a balance to where Hammett wanted to set a precedent and set his own culture. And if guys weren't falling in line with that, he had to make some tough calls. But at the same time, if you're letting a lot of leaders go, 
that can yeah. then have a negative effect. So yeah. I don't know, as some as someone who's stuck around, how did you find that? Yeah, I guess you know, I probably didn't look into into that too much detail. <laughs> Sorry, bro, I'm a uh, bit of a rugby geek, bro, but yeah. No, 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 no. That's awesome. But you know, I, I guess I mentioned again, you know, it was at the end of the day it was it was it was the team. Um, it was the team that needed to perform and the team that we're there to play for. So, you know, losing those leaders was massive. I guess at the same time, you know, you sort of had faith that the next person in, you know, obviously wasn't going to have that much experience, but we just had to back that, you know, those calls made it the top. We're going to, you know, obviously come through. And I guess, unfortunately for Hammett, he didn't quite get to reap the rewards of, you know, blooding someone like a Bodie and TJ who went on to help guide the boys to a final in 15 and then finally a championship in 16. But even for someone like yourself, I, I've got it written down here that in your fourth year with the team, you played well enough and consistently through that season to where um, not only, yeah, like you said, you were performing for the boys, but you ended up earning a call up for the Manu Samoa team. No, that was massive. That was, yeah, that was, I guess for me, you know, being able to represent Samoa was, you know, just like being able to represent any country is a privilege. I think professionally, making the decision to Samoa was big because I knew I couldn't stay in New Zealand. And, you know, New Zealand, you know, New Zealand rugby sort of don't, don't like having internationals here. You know, if you can't play for New Zealand, they don't really want you here. So, yeah, committing you know, to Samoa, I knew in the back of my head that I needed to go overseas. Um, mm-hmm. So... Yeah, but, you know, again, there was no regrets there. I knew that I'd given New Zealand rugby my best. I wanted to be an all-black, wasn't an all-black, but um, I think I performed to the best of my my abilities for, for Samoa. Made a World Cup, mm-hmm. made a World Cup thing. Didn't win a World Cup. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, yeah, just, just like any job, you want to give it your best. And if you can represent at the international level, whether it's Samoa, Romania or whoever, you know, you're at the pinnacle of your rugby career. So, yeah. And so where did, I've got it written down here as well, bro, that you made your debut for Samoa at Lansdowne Road in Ireland. A pretty <laughs> special ground to, to make your first appearance for. Like, do you remember much from that week? And how did that game stack up to your other debuts, like for the Hurricanes, for Norths, for the Lions? Is it your most treasured amongst the lot? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely one of them up there. Um, probably the... Best one up there is winning the Jubilee for Norths. <laughs> um, but no, that, that was a massive week. It was, it was definitely an eye-opener. Um, just the level of rugby international was just, you know, I was just like the little kid in the middle of the field, like, shit, what's going on? <laughs> um, mm. But yeah, the, the prep was massive. And again, you know, I had my teammates, Tusi PC, Jack Lamb, Alapati, Leor. So in terms of nerve-wise, you know, those, those guys made it easy for me as well. Um, and it's always easy coming off the bench too, so it wasn't too bad. <laughs> and again, like we've touched on, like we mentioned right at the top of the podcast, you've been playing for the coast, which would, would have been quite humbling. You've done some, um, well, you've came and helped out for Norse this year and a couple of years previously. And like we just mentioned, you, you've played for Manu Samoa, but you've also been amongst some, now I don't want to say there's any disparity between the teams, but in terms of the way that the likes of the Hurricanes are looked after, for example, when you've spent some time in France and spent some time in Japan, like how much of a disadvantage are the Pacific teams like with their preparation? And like, so when you traveled over to Ireland, 
how did that compare to when you traveled with the hurricanes to south africa was it just as nice or um man yeah i guess for the pi team sort of i i don't know what what's you know you sort of need to lower your expectations <laughs> money wise in terms of how it's spent at the top i don't really know it will have much control but you sort of get used to it you know it's just you mm. expect it's not going to be always the always always flash um there was there was one tour we toured usa and our bags got left behind i forgot where we were but yeah so we went three four days getting ready for our pnc um with no clothes <laughs> so we sort of had to train in bare feet outside in the um car park for the first year for the first three days <laughs> so what yeah i guess you can't you can't really compare in terms of budgets and whatnot uh all vary but you just make do yeah i mean again like i only ask because i know there's a lot of talk around how world rugby and you know the likes of new zealand and australia can help to prop up the pacific yeah. island nations you know yeah. given how much of the talent that they then take to then throw them out on on the world stage yeah. for them yeah. and i know that you know money i know that the likes of the players have nothing to do with how the administrative side handles that sort of thing. But I, uh, yeah, I, I guess as someone who's been in the trenches like yourself, I just wanted to get a better of idea of how much of an impact that sort of stuff has on the teams, you know, just because a lot of the boys that play for Manu Samoa are playing for the best teams in Europe and playing for the best teams in New Zealand. But then in terms of preparation, they almost have to take a step back from what they're used to. And, yeah. you know, they take it on the chin, but I just, I don't know. It doesn't seem like anything's being done to help take that next step forward for the likes of Samoa, Tonga and Fiji when they're having to deal with those sorts of issues in comparison to other tier one nations. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree on that. I, I guess it's one of those things with the elephant in the room. Um, mm. But I guess, and I, I know that for a fact, when the boys do come international with Samoa, Tonga, you know, All Blacks, Fiji, you know, that passion sort of takes over in terms of what struggles go on outside. You know, that sort of filtered out too. So, yeah, it's, again, you know, you just make do. If we did have the same treatment as other Tier 1 nations, you know, probably be a different beast. But, yeah, I, I guess the Island nations will, will always struggle in that aspect anyway. And in terms of where players are placed, you know, for example, the end of your tour coming up, they're only taking boys from overseas with, with COVID and whatnot. So that whole picture will start changing over the next few years as well. Yeah, I guess it's just an unfortunate reality of the of the climate that we live in, bro. Yeah. But as you touched on before, you mentioned the fact that you played at a World Cup with Samoa and even amongst your other, well, amongst your 19 tests that you amassed, you played against the All Blacks, South Africa and Wales. Yeah. Um, like, how did, how did you find those experiences? And did you ever, I mean, because you said the, that ever since you left school, you know, the moment was never really too big for you or you never put it on the pedestal that a lot of other players do. I um, mean, yep. so did that carry out for the rest of your career as well to where you were matching up against, you know, all blacks that you'd been sharing the field with in your Hurricanes days? Yeah, I, I think it did. I think I just, you know, like I said before, when I did make the choice to play for Samoa, I knew I had to go overseas. All I wanted to do was give my New Zealand my best shot. I, f I felt I did do that. And stepping away, going to Samoa, you know, I already knew I was at that capability of being able to play at that level. Um, mm -hmm. So playing against All Blacks and, and the boys and whatnot, Scotland, Sean Maitland and the boys there, you know, you sort of know you, you need to be at that level. 
or you know you've you've, you've done the work to be at that level so you know I, I wouldn't say i was buzzing out i just guess you know i knew that i was capable to be at that level and definitely showed on the field so yeah like <laughs> i mentioned you play against the all blacks the white against wales scotland yep. south africa you played in England at the 2015 World Cup. And then over the course of the rest of your career, like you said, when you left New Zealand, you go and play in Japan. Um, and most recently, in terms of like proper professional contracts, you've been playing in France. Yep. Did you have a preference, you know, looking back on your career now, you know, you're playing with the coast. Do you have a preference on where you played? And like, if you could go back in a time machine to play for a team and only play one season, would it be yep. playing for the Hurricanes? Would it be playing in Japan? Like, did you have a lifestyle or, I don't know, a team that, you have a preference for? Uh, Norse. <laughs> no, <laughs> <laughs> no I, I enjoyed my time in Japan, enjoyed my time in France, and, you know, both countries are unique. But, yeah, no, not necessarily. Japan Japan worked out really well for me and the family, just being so close to home. Um, but then in saying that, France was awesome as well, just being so close to, you know, the rest of the world. Um, I'm, I'm pretty boring, bro, so I don't, venture out as much um you know, when, when my wife and kids came over to france you know wife was keen to get out go to paris go to spain whereas me i'm just happy with putting to a city i'm, I'm boring bro <laughs> you know, like, oh yeah that's cool. nice i've seen it on tv <laughs> <laughs> that's cool bro because uh, i guess you know comparing to someone like myself i feel like if i was ever in those sorts of circles i would i would buzz at it sort of stuff but it's cool to see someone like you who's been there done that and you know just enjoys the comforts of home nothing better than yeah. door or rocking down to the mall or going down to Tahi Bay <laughs> Beach bro um in comparison uh, to what you would have seen in Spain yeah uh, but yeah I think that's pretty much the the gist of what I wanted to get from from your playing days and your footy career it doesn't seem like they're over I mean you've still got no. a still got a season to play with the coast and no doubt you'll be turning up for Norse next year but before I let you go, my man, um, I got to end all of my interviews on two segments. Uh, the first being, can you take us through what your game day routine is and if it's changed over the course of your career? Game day routine? Uh, no, it hasn't. Game day routine, get up, ooh, clean the house. I've, I've always got a thing of cleaning. Um, and I guess it was sort of a thing growing up when I was little. I was never allowed to play if the house wasn't clean. So I'm 25 years old, still cleaning the house. Um, now clean the house, breakfast, muesli, eggs. What else? What else? What else? Shake. Obviously, when I had my daughter, take her for a walk or get her out of the house, come back home, sleep, and then showtime. So yeah, now nothing much changed. True. No superstitions, left boot, right boot, prayer. Oh, I always put my uh, right sock on before my left and then right right boot on before my left. Yeah. Um, always do a little prayer before I head out. Um, and just as we run out, sort of always kiss my left wrist and then sort of look up to the sky. Um, my cousin uh, passed away in 2008. So mm -hmm. yeah, always, always acknowledge him whenever I'm running out. So yeah. Rest in love. All right. Last segment. It's called 10 in the bin. Just 10 quick fire questions. First thing comes to mind. Let's go. Sweet. All right. Number one, what's your vessel of choice on a night out? Corona. Lemon in? Yep. Defs. Uh, who's the biggest coach's pet you've been around? Coach's pet? Mm-hmm. Coach's pet I've been around. Oh, no names. <laughs> <laughs> 
I still want I like a friend, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Diplomatic. I like it. All right. Who was your idol growing up? Idol. Sporting idol? Or... Anything, bro. Oh, man. Growing up, probably dad. My mum and dad. Bit nice, cliche, but yeah, mum and dad. Mm-hmm. What's your must do on a day off? Must do on a day off. Go for a cruise. True. Yeah. A lot of boys say golf. Are you into golf? Nah, 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 nah. Yeah. Me and you both, bro. Me and you both. <laughs> uh, favorite cheat meal? Favorite cheat meal? Ooh. Cheat meal. Burger King. What's your order? Ooh, uh, what a double whopper and, um, yeah, no, nah, double whopper with an extra cheeseburger. <laughs> nice, G. Uh, if you weren't a rugby player, what would you be? Yeah. Oh, man. Dream big, bro. You can be anything you want. Dream big, man. Rugby player, what would I be? Male for <laughs> <laughs> Well, I love it. You're sticking to the hometown theme. All right. Um, who's the cheapest teammate you've ever been around? Cheapest teammate? Ryan Nicholas. <laughs> well, is that what? It doesn't turn up. <laughs> nah, he shouted me lunch in Japan and uh, he paid with vouchers. <laughs> to be fair bro i'm i'm just as fond of the entertainment book as everybody else um yeah. but this isn't about me all right who's an artist a song or a podcast that you're listening to at the moment that you could recommend to the listeners oh celine dion <laughs> heads down all right bro i won't say anything after that um who's the biggest grub you've played with and against and against oh man and against biggest grub nah no one biggest grub yeah nah no one I like my teammates <laughs> sorry bro I told you I'm boring nah bro it's all good it's all good I asked for honest answers and you're being honest alright uh, last question bro and you just gotta finish the sentence off of me Saturdays are for sleeping <laughs> Oh, bro. What? Do you sleep in on game days as well? Nah. Uh, try to. Oh, if it's a night game, I always nap in the afternoon. Yeah. 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 Oh, most of them yeah. are night games. So, yeah, no, I do. I don't sleep in, I nap in the afternoon. Nice, bro. Nice, bro. Got to stick to that <laughs> routine. Oh, well, um, that's a wrap on my podcast with Faifile Lavave. As I mentioned, bro, very, very grateful for your time. Very grateful for your insight from You're over the course well. of your career. But, yeah, good skills for the rest of your season with the coast. And, look after yourself in what's still a pretty weird time in New Zealand. Hard. Thanks, brother. You take care, man. Appreciate it. Thanks, Luz. Later.